Welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. If that sounds like you, reach out. We can talk about having you on the show, too. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my mini books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. Good morning. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good. trying to get my headphones situated <laughs> no worries no worries I actually have a tree grinder outside of my window today uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna be moving to the other end of the house to do this <laughs> oh wow <laughs> oh the neighbors I swear every single time I'm getting ready for a busy week of doing all these podcast recordings they hire these tree trimmers to come out and then they sit there with their chainsaws me and then they go with the tree grinder. It's awful. Oh my God. That's like, see, like I'm high functioning autistic. So like certain noises and vibrations like are really awful for me that like aren't for normal people. And like those type of like, yeah, like chainsaws and like high vibrations, like it's always like agonizing for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Um, I've never been diagnosed, but I think there's a lot of things about me that have been uh, recognized as being on the spectrum yeah. uh, by a good friend of mine who actually, that's what she does. Daughter, um, So I don't know, but there are certain things where it just, it just right. bugs me. <laughs> just right. stop, just stop, just go away. My poor husband, he has to deal with so much for me. <laughs> Well, women are like always wrongly diagnosed. Like I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and then someone, some brilliant woman was finally like, you don't actually fit the DSM like guidelines for bipolar. Like you don't stay awake and manic for five days at a time. So I just don't see where you got this diagnosis. And it was very like a misogynistic, like that type of feel. Like when you read the rest of it, like instead of, you know, like he, when he talked about my relationships, the only two relationships I've been in were abusive. And then he basically said, I get bored in them. It's like, no, I finally stood up to these men and left. And you're saying you're giving me a diagnosis where I just get bored. No, like you're, this is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, these people are idiots. They just don't know what they're doing sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm happy to meet you. Yes. I'm really happy to meet you too. Yeah, I'm excited I get to have you on my podcast. This is kind of an honor for me. You're kind of amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm excited. So when we get started, it sounds like the tree grinder left. Oh, thank you. Um, when we when we get started, before I jump into doing the introduction and stuff, I usually give like five seconds of silence so I can visually see where to cut the audio um because I don't do a whole lot of audio editing I like it when people like 
really associate with the person that I'm interviewing and not having the audio cut in a million places really helps with that. Right. Yeah. They, they hear you as a real human that way. Um, you're not perfect. None of us are perfect. Oh God. So if we, if we say, um, and well, and like, if we say that, that's a normal thing. Right. Yeah. I, Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been like <laughs> trying to work on that too, like coming on podcasts and doing interviews, but like I'm just proud of myself in general for like having the courage to do this and come out of my shell. So Oh yeah. It was like a long road <laughs> for me. I bet it was. I you've had a crazy story. Um when we're done with it, when we say our goodbyes and everything at the end of the episode, if you want to, you're welcome to stick around, especially if you have any questions or anything for me or you want to uh, touch base on anything. Um, I always stick around for an extra few seconds just in case somebody wants to chat a little bit longer. Um, but if you don't feel like you need to ask any, any questions or you feel like we're good, uh, you're welcome to hang up too and I won't take it personally. Okay. <laughs> All right, Elizabeth, uh, how do you say your last name? Mikotowicz. Mikotowicz. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, Are you ready? Yep. Okay, I'm going to count to five in my head and we'll get started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I have an incredible young lady on with me today. Um, Her name is Elizabeth Mikotowicz and she has quite the story. Uh, She was adopted from birth, and as so many of us trauma survivors know, there's always some kind of trauma that comes with adoption. There's a lot of different ways that this can manifest in its life, but a lot of times it it can lead to other forms of trauma in life. Uh, Elizabeth's no stranger to that. She got involved in some pretty horrible relationships, and everything kind of Uh, had a domino effect, but I'm going to have her tell you about it because she's far better at that than I am. Uh, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I'm really excited to be able to get to know you today and chat with you. Um, When we first connected through Podmatch, I was just blown away by your story and I'm I'm just excited. I'm very excited. (laughs) I I think people are going to really get a lot out of your story too. I hope so. I hope so. so. Where were you originally born? Where did you grow up? So I was born in Quincy, Illinois, and I got adopted at two weeks old to a couple from Brooklyn, New York. And um, my dad taught in Harlem and my mom did a lot of editing work. And then he got a job up at University of Maine. So we moved up to Bangor, Maine when I was, um, or the Bangor area when I was like two And I pretty much grew up there and, you know, they were really great people. They did their best um, and were very loving and very supportive with, you know, everything that had gone on in my life. Um, But even it doesn't matter, like you could have the perfect family, but, you know, adoption comes with trauma. Like and, you know, when I met my biological family, that was very that was very intense and it was very, you know, traumatic in some ways. And it just, you know, there's, there's no getting around that. And, you know, adopted parents just need to realize that, you know, if, even if you're taken at birth and it wasn't like something you remember, it was still a trauma. 
And, you know, I, you pass trauma down in your DNA. It's been, it's been proven. And, you know, there was a lot of domestic violence in, you know, my biological family. And even though I wasn't raised in that, I ended up in a domestic violence situation. And, um, when, he put me in the hospital. Um, he gave me a really bad head injury. Um, and my, my skull was showing, they had to sew the muscle back then they had to sew the skin back. I couldn't move my eyebrow for like a year. And they told me I was going to have to get plastic surgery to fix it. But you know, that wasn't the worst of it. You know, I started getting seizures and they prescribed me opioids. And when I tried to refuse, because I found out I was pregnant with my son, um, they said that they, it could result in a call to child protective services for, you know, refusing medical care. And, you know, they, they said, don't worry, you're on too small of a dose to get addicted. Well, you know, now 15 years later after the opioid epidemic and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dead, you know, we know better now. And this was just big pharma pushing their products to make money off of the suffering of the American people. And, you know, millennials, my generation, you know, I was born in 1986. Half the people that were born in 1986 are dead now. Like they have killed our entire generation. We trusted our doctors when we had ADHD issues, when we had anxiety issues and we got, you know, pumped full of opioids, you know, uh, amphetamines and anti-anxiety medications. And we all became addicts and then they demonized us for it and locked us up. And now the prison system's profiting off of it. And, you know, children are in foster homes and, you know, the, <laughs> the foster system's making money that way. And it's just this one big money pit of, you know, profiting off of the suffering of the American people. And um, I eventually went to Spruce Run, the battered women's shelter, and they turned me away with two beds open. They said my situation was too severe and my injuries were too extensive and it put the other women in the shelter in danger. The girl that got a bed, the guy didn't even hit her. He kicked her car and that's, that's domestic violence. Absolutely. You know, destroying your property and intimidation. That's all domestic violence. But you know, in compared to my situation where if I hadn't gone to the hospital, I'd be dead from this man. And you know, they, just didn't want to deal with my situation. And that's a big problem with, um, victim based shelters. Um, like a friend of mine tried to get into the human trafficking shelter and they wouldn't take her because she wouldn't snitch her pimp out. And it's like, you're, you want these girls to risk their lives and testify against these criminals and human traffickers who know where their family is, who took all of their, you know, IDs and their money and controlled everything about their life and separated them from their family. They know where their family is. Like you, you, you can't expect them to put, you know, their family in danger because you want to make a caller and you want to make an arrest. You should not be, you know, trying to find, figure out how much you can get off of these victims. Like these, this is why women are slipping through the cracks and ending up in prison because, you know, they're just not helping them. And so eventually I caught federal drug charges and went to prison and I got to see all the abuse and horrible things that go on in prison. And, um, like, you know, America makes one fifth, we make 20% of the global incarceration population and they make over a hundred dollars a day per inmate. 
and you know they they work they work these people 40 hours a week paying them pennies a day i mean there were inmates moving dead covid bodies fighting wildfires and they're not getting they're literally getting paid five dollars and 25 cents a month and these corporations are making a killing off of it a hospital saves three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year contracting their linen to be washed by inmates instead of paying regular americans a minimum wage they don't even want to pay us a, mi a minimum wage anymore they 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 they'd rather just you know pay inmates pennies a day and get a free workforce and you know they made everybody homeless during the pandemic we have 29 empty properties for every homeless man woman and child like we could solve the homeless problem overnight but they'd rather criminalize homelessness and put these people in jail to get a free workforce it's it's all about a free workforce and money and ripping the american people off and then they get to demonize them with their mental health or addiction you know or you know something that essentially the system caused right what an awful place to be how long were you were you stuck there um i my longest stretch was three years and um you know county jail is far worse than prison because at least the prison you can go outside whenever you want and like they have more programs but, you know, it's just you're met with violence. You know, you see violence. I mean, my first week in Somerset County Jail, I watched an entire pot of women get stripped out because they signed up for a razor and a male sergeant wanted a list of who shaved their vaginas and who didn't. Those that did got punished. Like, that's the kind of thing you're going to have to deal with. And that was the PG stuff that went on. I mean, if wow. you if you refuse, you know, I've I've heard people say, "Oh, well, I'd fight back and I wouldn't strip for them and I I'd refuse." Okay, you can do that. They're going to show up ten deep, you know, all suited up in SWAT gear. They're going to have mace. They're going to have batons. They're going to have rubber bullets, and they are going to beat the hell out of you. And they're going to put gas in your cell that's chemically designed to take the oxygen out of your throat. So, and, you know, it doesn't matter if you're not the one doing it and you're not even in the cell. If they gas one cell with the vents, they're gassing all of them. So one, everyone wow. gets punished for what one person did. Right. And that's that goes back into psychology that they've used in the military and in prison systems for many, many, many years. It's a way to get everybody else to hate you, too. So you're more yeah. likely to comply because you don't care if these guys over here hate you. You care if the people that you're living with hate you. Right. Yeah. Right. So what helped you to heal from your trauma once you were finally able to get out of that situation? Well, um, you know, I was lucky. I got to do um, I got to paint murals while I was there and I painted on cups and sold them to the women. So it was kind of like giving oh, them wow. a piece of their identity back. And, you know, I I did art as a hustle and I worked out like four hours a day. I was always working out, always listening to music, looking for ways to distract myself. Um, I, I had to learn coping mechanisms. And, you know, when I got out, on probation, I, you know, complete, I relapsed. I just, every time I left my house, I had a panic attack and I just, I just couldn't deal with it, you know? And the other thing was when I got out, I had $1,300 of medications that the prison had me on and no way to pay for it. Oh and my psych, gosh. psych meds 
if you, if you stop taking them, your heart can stop. So I was like separating out my medication, you know, trying to, you know, because you're physically dependent on them at this point. And this is a problem, you know, when people get out of prison, they have no medical care. So they have no way they, they've been put, forced to be on these medications. A lot of them, they probably don't even need, and they're physically dependent on them and they have no way to get more. So they're going to detox and spiral off these medications and, you know, I lucked out when I got out for the last time on probation because Janet Mills was the governor of Maine. She took over for Paula Page and Paula Page had cut funding every which way. And she gave uh, medical care back to the people. So I was able to continue trauma counseling and, you know, get mat treatment when I needed it and, you know, just do in-depth trauma therapy. And that was like really kind of a game changer for me, you know, being able to get my medications and not have to worry about paying for them and, you know, figuring all that out. Wow. I mean, it really was a change of policy that, you know, I don't, I don't know where I'd be if I, if I had to, you know, self-medicate and not be able to have access to, you know, counseling and therapy and all that stuff. Right. And you did mention also uh, in our correspondence that a friend of yours created a nonprofit and wrote about her own, wrote her own trauma course. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So my friend Clover, she's just amazing. Um, She created uh, a ministry called um, a beautiful hearts ministry and it's a nonprofit organization. She has started um, sober houses for women. She has helped so many people since her release. She did 15 years and then get out, gets out and she's working with probation officers and helping people get better deals and better sentences and helping them find housing and getting them to rehab, getting them jobs. Like she has just done so much, you know, when it comes to women who have been affected by the prison system. Um, and she created this course called She Writes Her Trauma. And it was just a course about, you know, write. She came up with these activities and, you know, writing prompts and just the community of women. It was really uplifting and really inspiring. And I, I, I don't think I would have come out of my shell if I hadn't been a part of um, her programs. Um, she's in New York. So I, I recommend everybody, you know, look her up. If, if you guys want to donate money, it would be to a really good cause. And she, you know, she, she helps get, you know, people off the street and she's just done so much. And she, she just, she's so loving and understanding, you know, and non-judgmental. And I ended up calling state representatives and getting laws changed, you know, wow. after being inspired you know, by her and having the courage to do that. Um, there was a cop in Maine who, um, was giving drugs for sexual favors and he gave, he was doing it with this mother and he gave the drugs to her daughter at school and they got, they got in trouble. They got drug charges, but you know, I called the DA up and I'm like, why did you not charge him with a sex crime? Like he's extorting her addiction. He holds power over her. Like the difference of power is it's, it's not, this should not be consent. And he said, well, the way the law is written, it is consent, but you should write to state representatives and, you know, make this a case because correctional officers and inmates cannot, 
there's no such thing as consensual, you know, relationship when it comes to intimacy because of the power structure. Like, you know, you have to do what you're told, you know, and they even may have rules in their rule books that says the correctional officer is always right. If they're wrong, you know, please see rule one. And like, it brings you back to that rule. Correctional officers are always right. You do not have the right to say no to them. And it's the same with cops. So, you know, as a woman who's been to prison, if a cop were to hit on me, the only thing I'm thinking is what am I going to go to jail for when I say no? So, you know, we got, I started writing to them and, you know, they put my proposal in a bill and that's how I started working with the local uh, Democrats. And we got a bill passed that mandates all jails in Maine uh, provide tampons and pads for free for women. Um, And they took my proposal about the landlords. um, It was the tenant bill of rights. And we had landlords charging these outrageous application fees and they were getting like three times the rent and not renting the apartment. So it was causing a huge housing crisis. Like if you're getting 10 people paying an application fee in a week, you know, that you're going to get triple the rent when you're charging $200 or $100 for an application fee. And it was just a scam where they were just ripping the people off and, you know, causing a housing crisis. So they put, they passed that um, to where you can only have an application fee if a lease is signed. So um, yeah, I was, I was really surprised. Like I never thought um, state representatives and, you know, political people would actually like listen to me and, you know, take my words and put them into a law and a bill. But I, I managed to pull that off. So. Well, and speaking of law, I only recently found out that my podcast as of right now is required listening for some students in law school in Washington state. So shout out to those guys. That's amazing. Um, This is why I do what I do. I want people like you to be able to have a voice and to let other people know that no matter where it is that you've been, no matter what somebody else may have done to you, you can still make a difference. And that's exactly what you're doing. And I hope you're really proud of yourself. You are doing incredible things. So this is my bill that I want that needs to be passed across the board, like across the nation. So in prison, there's something called PREA, and that stands for Prison Rape Elimination Act. So when I was at Somerset County, they forced me to strip in front of cameras that were illegally placed inside cells. In the state of Maine, you cannot have cameras inside of a cell where an inmate goes to the bathroom and sleeps and changes. Well, they do. And under duress of being extracted and met with violence, I was forced to strip in front of these cameras. So when I went to prison, I filed a PREA complaint against Somerset County Jail. When they did their, they do their own investigations, and this is how jails cover up abuse. They do their own investigation. They admitted to everything I was complaining about, and they deemed it unfounded. So it wouldn't go a step higher. And an outside source, like a rape prevention uh, group, or, you know, there's supposed to be some outside source that interviews the inmate. This never happens. They never have anyone interview the inmate. So it never goes any higher. So when I was at Alderson and they got the response back, they read it to me. They would not even allow me to hold it or send it home or anything. They literally said, we don't do that. Like, you're not allowed to have it. And so what this does is you only have a hundred days to file a complaint when you get out of prison. 
what this does is create you know a problem because they the first thing they say is where's the paperwork did you go up the proper chain of command well yes i did but i don't have the paperwork to prove it so you only have 100 days if if it goes past that you're you you're screwed and so this is how they bury the abuse they just don't give you the paperwork and then after i got out of prison um the captain and four of his subordinates at alderson all got arrested and convicted for raping and stalking inmates and tampering with Priya evidence. So it wasn't just wow. me, they did it to. They did it to dozens of other inmates, like, and then they covered it up. And this is how they're bearing the abuse. So I want a bill on the table that says a, a jail is held financially responsible, say $500 a day for every day they stonewall an inmate and refuse to give them their paperwork. Because I got, I wrote Somerset County and I requested the paperwork. And, you know, I had a sergeant telling me to kill myself in, um, in solitary. Well, she told another inmate to kill themselves and they had to cut that inmate down from a suicide attempt. Oh. And this, this woman's still working there. She's still getting her pension. She's, she's still getting all her benefits. And, you know, there was an 18-year-old girl who got charged for, for gassing her boyfriend up and getting him to commit suicide. If an 18-year-old girl who's sick in the head can get charged, then an officer of the law should be getting charged as well. And, you know, they wouldn't give me any of my paperwork, any of the grievances, any of the, the requests. She used to write horrible stuff like she couldn't wait for me to get out and um, overdose. So I'd stop wasting taxpayers money like this is this is the abuse that people get. And when they have mental health issues and they're put in solitary, you know, and that's not even the violence. That's just the, the vicious mental, you know, bully stuff that they do. And so. We need a law on the table that, you know, holds these jails accountable for when they don't give inmates their paperwork. And they told me to subpoena it, to have a lawyer subpoena it. Well, I got a lawyer, but you can't subpoena anything without an open case. And you can't open a case without the paperwork. So they know oh. this. They know about this loophole. And, you know, they just get away with horrible, horrible things. And... You know, I love what Paris Hilton is doing. She's going after, you know, boarding schools and institutions. All institutions need to be held accountable. You know, they, they put the institution over people and their lives. And it's just absolutely, you know, disgusting. It's not what America should stand for. You know, we have juvenile facilities that are abusing children and judges are getting, you know, bonuses for sending the kids there. And it's, you know, I met a juvenile from Long Creek and um, they brought her to be housed with us at Cumberland County. And she had stabbed one of the guards because she had been repeatedly sexually assaulted. And she finally snapped, couldn't take it anymore. Well, these were the high ranking officers and, you know, staff that was doing this. And it was a lot of kids with the same story. So they brought her with us. They told her she was going back. And she flipped out, ended up going to solitary, and she slit her own throat that night. That was better than going back to, you know, this juvenile place. And, you know, these, these kids all across the country are, you know, just getting thrown into institutions. That, that's what these, you know, armed guards in schools, you know, that were supposed to stop school shootings, you know, that's all they achieved 
is sending a bunch of black and brown kids to juvenile detention centers for, you know, petty things. That's the right. only thing, you know, they, they accomplished. So we, we really need to, you know, start investing in schools again. And, you know, they, they do their um, like seventh grade reading tests to figure out how many jail beds they're going to need in the future. Wow. And it's no surprise to me that, you know, over the pandemic, all these facilities, all these jail facilities across America were taking PPP loans and expanding their beds and adding more wings on so they can get more money. And now they're criminalizing homelessness. This is all about a free workforce. Wow. I, I understand that you were able to write your book. Was that because of your friend's program? Um, so I'm in the editing process of my book. Um, it's called No Justice, Just Us. And yes, it, yes, I, I, I worked on, I, I was going through like a writer's block dry spell when, um, when I started that um, course, She Writes Her Trauma. And it was because it's traumatic, I was having such a hard time, like just sitting down and focusing and, you know, just, you know, writing about it. So yeah, that really got me back on track and I managed to finish um, the first draft. So I'm, I'm still in the editing phases. Like I, I will get it published. It's just been a long, you know, journey and trying to, you know, juggle everything, you know, especially with um, my clothing brand too. Um, I, that's being sold in stores now. So I went from painting murals as a federal inmate to having an environmentally friendly feminine clothing brand, you know, and all the designs are my original paintings and it comes in plus sizes. Like I'm so happy. It's, I was so happy when the galleries announced that they were doing plus sizes because I, you know, I want women from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all health issues, all sizes to be able to wear this brand. That is and, awesome. You know, and when the thing that I love so much about the galleries, when I ordered it, I ordered a small and it was too big. <laughs> like, and you know, I'm very skinny now, but I remember being in like sixth grade or middle school and, you know, gaining a little bit of weight and the, my normal size, what, like, should that should have fit you know didn't fit and they would just they shove skinny down our throats and you know yes. it has a lot of body dysmorphia so this is like very properly sized you know and it's not going to make people feel bad about you know whether or not they gained a little bit of weight or you know it's 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 very i don't know it's it's very accommodating for you know body dysmorphia and, you know, self-esteem issues, which, you know, and it just, everything fits very nicely and falls nicely. Like I, I have yet to see anyone that like doesn't look right in it. Like it's just very nicely fitted for all women. That is very cool. I'd love, where do people go if they want to see this? So, um, it's on my website, uh, the galleries. Okay. You have to put in HTTP colon slash slash www.legalleries.com forward slash E N forward slash Elizabeth dot Mikotowicz. And, um, I'm also on Instagram 
my handle is EPM underscore art underscore 1111. And it's the same on TikTok. And I'm doing a series on TikTok about the violence against women that I witnessed in prison. Um, oh, very cool. And also with, uh, <laughs> since we have another service woman that was murdered at Fort Hood, um, I feel like I should mention that um, I was in prison with all of the military women that got thrown away because they stood up to their rapist. And, you know, that this military rape culture that has, you know, spread across the board, like really needs to be addressed. I mean, you know, and then a lot of these men, the, the military breeds predators. And then a lot of these men, after they've, you know, assaulted women in the military, they'll, they'll come work at the jails and, assault the female inmates because you know that we're we're considered trash women that have been thrown away by society so it's okay to do that to us and you know it's just they they expect these women in the military to be able to defend themselves and i've i've seen videos of women in the military say their superiors told them oh well you have a gun you should be able to stop a man from sexually assaulting you well, I was in prison with a woman who did defend herself and they charged her with assault on an officer. So wow. like, you're not like, try again, like next, because like, this is not okay. And you know, I've actually, I've had several uh, female veterans on my podcast that have talked about being. Uh... Yeah, it is an incredibly high number i think they said one third and those are just the ones that come forward right it's a pandemic yeah yeah it's absolutely disgusting yeah so can you have you got your book handy would you be willing to read a little bit of it for our audience um yeah actually i could also i i i can do that um i do have a poem though that was published I won a contest with it. Great. I was going to read that one to you guys. Yeah. I, yeah, so I'm all for that. This is called Flying Black Balloons. And um, I won a contest in Maine and got it published. I won two years in a row. But um, this is the one that got a standing ovation with fist bumps in the air. So I figured I'd share it with you guys. <laughs> Flying Black Balloons. Four years in my recovery, but I am not recovered. A sad and awful truth that I have faced and suffered. My chains and shackles gone. Only felonies remain. Reminders of my past, like they don't carry any shame. My friends are mostly gone. Just sad memories left instead. A sea of black balloons. Big pharma's markers of the dead. Their kids are all now orphans, men taken to the state. It showed me prison was a blessing. I escaped a darker fate. With all this death and chaos, you think the government would care. They took their cut right to the banks, such corruption in the air. With the prison numbers rising and the rehabs all a mess, 94% their failure rate, no refunds nonetheless. The disease just keeps on spreading, capless needles in the street. Homeless faces everywhere, more injustice we can't beat. As the rich keep getting richer from all this insanity and pain, the politicians, they don't care. They have so much to gain. So we fly these black balloons to remember all of you, the ones that we have lost and those that barely made it through. Our American dream is shattered. Endless lives left all a mess. Replacement drugs the only way they say you'll ever rest. And who was tried for all these crimes? The addict nonetheless. Their form of rehabilitation, slow torture at its best. 
Are you tired of this nightmare of this dystopian land? I know that I am. I think it's time we make a stand. Oh, that's fantastic, Elizabeth. That was amazing. Thank you. I can totally see why you won awards and why you got a standing ovation. Well, thank you. (laughs) You really are out there making huge strides for other people. And it's so selfless. It's definitely uh, admired in you. And I hope that you can inspire other people to do the same thing, too. I, I hope so. Yeah, um, that one line in 94% their failure rate, no refunds nonetheless. These rehabs in America, um, they'll charge $30,000. And um, for instance, a friend of mine, his nephew got kicked out of rehab for drinking a cup of coffee in the wrong part of the building. Oh and gosh. they kicked him out for that. He got out and relapsed and overdosed. So, you know... They're just no, no other form of rehabilitation would kick somebody out over a cup of coffee or something that petty, you know, they're doing it because they just fill that, that slot and get another $30,000, you know, and rehabs have these super long waiting lists. You know, there's always somebody trying to get into rehab. And so you're crushing, you know, addicts, you know, their families are turning, you know, giving up on them because of this kind of thing. They're dying. Like there, it's just one big money pit. Yeah, absolutely. I've known a few people that have gone through uh, rehab clinics and they have seen face to face that uh, failure rate. It's, it's a horrible place to be, you know, it's, yeah. I, I, there's, I've got a very good friend right now that is a survivor of trafficking who uh, was in rehab, relapsed, and now she's going back to rehab again. I, how would I help her more than people just sending her to rehab? What can I do? Well, you know, I, for me, I had to face my trauma and get my trauma under control before I even tried to tackle my addiction. And you have to learn how to rewire your brain and feel safe again. For me, like feeling safe was agonizing for me because it was like waiting for the other shoe to drop and waiting for something to happen. So honestly, being in the midst of chaos felt safe, felt more normal and better to me than just sitting there like calm and like waiting for some, something to pop off. So you get addicted to trauma and you don't realize it. It's not that you like it. It's not that you want it. It's that it's that, you know, time before that, really accepting peace and, you know, being like, yes, I'm okay. It, you know, I am safe here. And it, it, it's really rewiring your brain. And I had to write affirmations. I had to meditate. You know, I have, I, I still listen to binaural beats every night when I go to sleep and I had to get away from my old friends. You know, I couldn't go hang out with people that I used to hang out with. I couldn't, you know, People, places, and things, those are, that's what's going to trigger you. So if you're going to places where you got high or, you know, that were traumatic for you and it's, it's, it sucks so much because people will always be like, oh, talk about it. You'll feel better. Well, your brain doesn't know the difference between a traumatic memory and what's actually happening. So by talking about it, you're actually re-traumatizing your brain. And the best thing to do is learn to distract yourself. And 
find ways of yeah find ways of coping and distracting yourself like i got into zen tangle art in jail it's kind of like this meditative doodle art and um anybody can do it you can you can look up um designs on online um i'm actually creating a coloring book an adult zen tangle coloring book for trauma and i'm going to include what i learned about trauma and um you know different activities that i created because yeah it's <sighs> trauma is you know one of the hardest things to you know, overcome your addiction and it, it, it fuels it because every time, you know, you get triggered, your brain pulls up, you know, the drug card and it says, you need to do this in order for you to stop feeling this way. Like you're going to die without it. Like your brain literally works against you, you know, as addicts. And it's once you like understand that and you know what you're dealing with, it's, it's a little bit easier to navigate. So yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, definitely just be there and, you know, support her. Yeah. I love her to pieces. You know, I would do anything for her, but I, I need to make sure that what I'm doing is what's right for her. Right. And not enabling, right. you know, her to, you know, be destructive. Yeah. I don't yeah. ever want to be known as an enabler. That's not who I am. I've overcome a lot of stuff myself. Uh, the last thing I want to do is is help somebody else to remain in that uh, state of their life. Right, right. I that was something I had to overcome because I kept trying to you know help people and pull them out, and you know it was causing me to get sucked back into things. And so you know I had to you know first and foremost protect myself. And you know once people proved that they were sober and doing the right thing, like I would go hang out with them again. But you know I really had to put up boundaries and, you know, learn to protect myself and, you know, not just have this codependence where like I would just continue to empty my cup, you know, right. for others when it was, you know, causing me, you know, backslide. Right. Right. You don't need to do that. You've got to be able to take care of yourself because it, it's kind of like the old analogy of, uh, when you're on an airplane and those oxygen masks drop, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of somebody else. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it sounds selfish, but it's really not because unless you're taking care of yourself, you're not going to be in a position to take care of anybody else. Exactly. You know, and the other thing I had to really look my trauma in the face and just, you know, have compassion and empathy for myself and be like, yeah, this really sucked this was really that bad because I would, nobody would gaslight and myself more than me. You know, my favorite oh, yeah. line to tell myself was I've been through worse. I, yeah. I've been through worse. I've got this, like, this is just going to make me tougher. And it made me, yeah, it made me tougher. It made me cold. It, you know, made me not have empathy anymore, you know, for myself or anyone else. And it's like, I had a fight to get that back. And, you know, it was like I built this dam and it's like, I just kept every, anytime it sprung a leak, I would just, you know, slather rage and anger and, you know, all those negative, toxic, you know, tough emotions on top of it. And, you know, to like break that dam down, it was, it was very overwhelming. It was, it was, you know, 
I like, I felt like my brain was, you know, splitting in half at times, you know, going through that. Right. Wow. Well, there's always one last question that I ask my guests before I let them go. Um, if you've ever listened to my podcast, you probably know exactly what to expect. But that one question of mine is my favorite. It is, what is one thing that you love about yourself not related to your physical appearance? I love my ability to bounce back. And I just, I love my artistic ability as well. And, you know, people tell me that I should get over stuff and that I just need to let things go. And I'm glad I didn't listen to them because now I'm changing things so other people don't have to go through them. That's amazing. You know, I'm really happy that I got a chance to meet you. I just think you're an incredible human being and the world needs more people like you. (laughs) Well, thank you. I I enjoyed chatting with you as well. Um, Elizabeth, when your book comes out, please let me know. I'll have you back on the show and we'll talk about it again. I would love to come back. Okay. All right. Thank you. You are amazing. You are amazing. (laughs) You are too. That's awesome. I'm so glad your show gets is mandated to for by uh law law kids or lawyers and training, whatever. I couldn't (laughs) believe it myself. So my other podcast is getting picked up on an Australian radio station that broadcasts across the entire country of Australia. Um, both of my podcasts are now listed on a baby boomers website for people who are of that age who are looking to uh, finally overcome their own traumas. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> it's They've been picked up in some of the most unusual places. And I've had podcast experts who've got literally millions of listeners who are telling me, I've never heard of a podcast being mandated listening in law for law students before. That is amazing. I love that. <laughs> I'm excited. But I mean, as soon as you started talking about changing laws, it's like, man, those kids are going to really have something to listen to with this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. That's great. That's awesome. Oh, I love how much you're changing in the world. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm definitely trying. I've seen what doesn't work and I've seen what's destroying people. So yeah. Yeah. Can you, You've seen the hard side of it. Can you post my um, clothing website? Like when on the podcast? Yes, absolutely. That's yes. going into the podcast podcast description. That's uh, awesome. But I'm, I'm also going to include it on my social media posts and stuff. So I post this on Facebook, on my personal account, my, my business account, my personal TikTok, my business TikTok. I post it on LinkedIn. And where else? That's somewhere great. else. But I'm yeah, so I, I put it all over the place. <laughs> Sweet. I will too. Just send it to me when it, when it's done so I can post it on my handles as well. Awesome. Um, they're always recorded in advance. Um, but I do have some dates already. It looks like this one is going to be airing on April 28th, April 28th. I look forward to it. Me too. I know that we're going to, you and I together. Yes. We're going to make a change. Yep. Yes. (laughs) 
Oh, you're awesome. I love you. You are amazing. I love you too. (laughs) You're my new favorite. (laughs) Um, Are you on Facebook? Yes, I am. I just, I don't, I'm like over meta and they're lobbying against TikTok. So like, I don't really like advertise my Facebook, but yes, I do have it. I'll send it to you. Actually, it's posted on Podmatch. I just put it on Podmatch. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Um dashboard i've actually got podmatch pulled up i have all this stuff pulled up in case i need to reference it at any time and they're always saying don't do that but it's super helpful for me honestly right <laughs> <laughs> I, I need it i need this stuff right <sighs> okay there you are all right i'm gonna send you a friend request great i will accept it okay oh look at you <laughs> who's the guy he's a cutie that's Ethan. That's my fiance. That's my son's name. Aw. <laughs> and yeah. who's the other cutie? The one without teeth yet. <laughs> <laughs> who's the puppy? Oh, that's Athena. That's my little Aww. service dog. She's adorable. Oh, she's so cute. She looks so happy in that photo. Yeah, she is. <laughs> awesome. When are you and Ethan getting married? Well, we haven't picked a date yet. It's kind of okay. just been like up in the air, like with the pandemic and shit. So we right. we haven't been in a like huge rush, but yeah, we've been talking about, yeah, we just moved too. So we're probably going to do it this summer. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, I love it. well I've got another meeting coming up in 10 minutes so I should probably let you go I had so much fun chatting with you today though yes I had a blast too thank you for hanging out with me yeah thank you for having me (laughs) and we will talk soon especially now that we're friends on Facebook absolutely (laughs) (laughs) all right have a good day you too bye bye Welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. If that sounds like you, reach out. We can talk about having you on the show, too. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my mini books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking.